Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Hello and welcome to the Money Nerds Podcast, where owning a calculator, budgeting your money, and having a net worth is actually cool. I'm your host, Whitney Hansen, and each week I'll be chatting with inspiring people to learn their secrets to financial success. Now let's dive into the show. We've talked a lot about financial independence on this podcast, and I was so excited to be able to talk with somebody who I think is a pioneer with this whole financial independence community. It's been really cool to see how this community has grown over the past even three years and how it's just continuing to grow, even with a downturn. I always think it's so fascinating. But before we dive into today's guest, I have to share with you some really, really exciting news. This is a money win that completely rocked my world from one of you. So let's join each other in supporting Heather. Heather says, I am officially debt-free. $80,000 paid off in five years, $40,000 in the past two years. Hashtag money win. Heather, I am so, so proud of you. And the fact that you were able to stay focused for five years and really make some serious money moves. But I mean, half of that $80,000 in two years is so impressive. You should be so, so proud of yourself. I know I'm definitely celebrating with you. I was so stoked to see your money win in the Facebook group. Uh, manage your money like a boss. I was so stoked to see that. So congratulations to you and your money win. And for you listening in, if you have a cool money win that you want to share, and maybe you want to do a little humble brag, as you should, you work very hard to get your money wins, and you should absolutely be in a community that supports that, then join the Facebook group. That's where you can hang out with me and a ton of other money nerds where we can support you in your journey. Of course, if you're not on Facebook, Instagram is another great place where you can send me any of your money wins, and I will happily share you out and be your number one cheerleader. So congratulations, Heather. I am so crazy proud of you. So going into today's episode, I had a ton of questions that were some difficult questions about financial independence. And I think a lot of us have thought these things, but maybe hadn't gotten clear answers on. So that's why I was so excited to bring on Brad Barrett, because he is a pioneer in the financial independence community. So he used to be a full-time CPA, and he retired with complete financial independence by the time he was 35 years old. And he did this through diligent savings and investing. So now he's the co-host and co-founder of Choose FI. He is empowering others to reach for a life of purpose and tension and ultimately happiness through the journey to financial independence. In this episode, we really dive into his first step taking action towards financial independence and what that specifically looks like. We talk about the power of intentional purchases and how that can drastically impact your life a really damn good perspective shift on financing a car. This, you guys, rocked my world. I already knew this, but the way Brad articulated it was so good to hear. We talk about strategically altering your food purchasing habits, a really great philosophical discussion on if financial independence is possible for everyone. That's a question that I've had in the back of my mind for quite some time. And so I love talking to Brad about this. We also talked about why financial independence is very I mean, bluntly put, it's not just for single white men, even though that does seem to be who is represented most. It's not just for that demographic of people. And then lastly, we dive into some lessons learned building a business from the ground up. The business and the impact that Choose FI has found has been incredible and it's been so fun to watch. So I'm really excited to learn the lessons that Choose FI has used as well. All right, guys, that is what we're going to be talking about today. So I am super excited to introduce you to Brad Barrett from Choose FI. Wait one sec. Are you on TikTok? I'm really curious because 
TikTok is a new platform that I have been putting a lot of content into. So if you're on TikTok, come hang out with me. I am at Whitney Hansen one. And I promise it's not just for Visco girls and youngsters. There's actually people over 30 on there too. So go give it a shot and come say hi to me. Brad, thank you so much for joining in. I'm stoked to be here with you. Yeah, this should be fun. Thanks for having me, Whitney. We were chatting a little bit earlier. I cannot believe that we have not officially met in person. So it's an honor. Oh, right back at you. Yeah, this is great. I'm really excited to chat with you. And it is it is shocking that we haven't met in person or talked over the internet in some way more, more official. So yeah, it's pretty wild. This is cool. It is so cool. And so I don't know if you know this, but we have something in common. I'm a former accountant myself. I did not go the CPA route, okay. but I noticed you're a CPA. Yeah. Yeah. So I was a, I guess I still am a CPA officially. Um, yeah. When I, I graduated college, I went to uh, the University of Richmond for undergrad, got my accounting degree, I guess uh, went to work for one of the big public accounting firms, which uh, this is maybe dating me a little bit here, but uh, it was the big five back then. So oh, yeah. Yeah. And that was kind of like one of those real formative experiences for me on my money journey, and I guess ultimately my path to FI. What got you into accounting to begin with? Like, why did you decide to go that route? Yeah, I I mean, I think like so many other 18-year-olds, I had pretty much no idea what I wanted to do. And, you know, just start college and start taking a whole bunch of courses. I just was trying to have a variety, basically. And I took the accounting 101, intro to accounting. And for some reason, it just clicked with my brain. I think I've always been kind of a, a math guy. I'm not like a hardcore math person, but you know, it just always was kind of my thing. And uh, yeah, took this accounting 101 and I just really liked it. And I actually at the University of Richmond, there's this uh, famous professor who teaches intermediate accounting. And everyone was like, you know, he's I mean, quite literally one of the best accounting professors in the country. So like, oh, wow. he, yeah, I mean, he taught the next course up. So I'm like, all right, I got it. I got to try this. I got to test, test my metal here. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was wonderful. And, you know, I mean, granted accounting is not the most exciting thing you can <laughs> ever study <laughs> as you well know, but I think it gave me a good, a good background on the language of business, the language of, you know, what I've done ultimately in the last almost 20 years is, is create a bunch of these little side hustles. And I think having that background helped me more than I could have imagined at the time. And, you know, frankly, I never liked being an accountant. I wasn't my thing. I got out of public accounting pretty much as quickly as I could. And, uh, you know, it, it never was something that lit me up, but I think having that background has been really useful. I'd love to hear. I mean, do you, do you mm -hmm. find the same? I don't know what your thoughts are on exactly the, the, the same. Yeah. Cause I, I graduated and my whole goal was I knew maybe about year three, of my education that it wasn't for me, but I was so far down that path that I'm like, oh, frick, got to commit, finish it off and just make it happen. So that's what I did. And my whole goal was like, make it pay for itself. So, so that it would pay off its student loans. And it did, but yeah, good background. Not for me. <laughs> yep. Agreed. Agreed. And yeah, like I was saying, when I first started, I, uh, for people who remember the history here, I went to work for Arthur Anderson. So back in 2001, there was this massive scandal with the company called Enron. And basically it was, Enron had some accounting shenanigans and Arthur Anderson was their auditor and kind of, I don't know, maybe aided and abetted or, and or, you know, just turned a blind eye, whatever you want to call it. I don't, I, I don't want to uh, cast aspersions, but uh, it basically brought down the entire firm. And this was the biggest and best accounting firm in the entire world. And what I realized at the time was that even if you've done everything right, as an employee, even if your people there, there were partners, there were senior managers, and they lost everything. And I realized kind of the impermanence of, of the corporate world and how, I mean, people get fired all the time, even if they're good performers, above average performers, you know, there are just layoffs and sometimes it's arbitrary. There's, there's so much uncertainty and, and impermanence to it that, you know, I kind of wanted to take some level of control back. Like I never wanted to cede that control to someone else. And I saw a lot of people who were maybe even just a handful of years older than me who were in their, their mid twenties, who had the expensive car payments, the house that they bought, you know, at that point I lived in Long Island, New York, and 
I mean, they were living paycheck to paycheck, even with pretty decent salaries. And mm. and again, they they ceded control to that job because if they lost that job or if something insane happened, like it happened to us, their entire lives could go down the tube in 60 to 90 days. And that just seemed crazy to me. So I think that was a very early formative experience for like what gave me the impetus to say like, okay, what can I do? I can save some money. So yeah, that's maybe like an early, uh, early little clue here of how did I get on this path to financial independence, which is interesting. That's so cool. I love that. So take us back a little bit further. When you were a kid, how was money talked about? Yeah, um, it mostly wasn't talked about. It wasn't a taboo topic in our in our family. So I grew up, you know, kind of a, a middle class family. Let's say my mom uh, worked for Weight Watchers and she was an office manager. And I guess my yeah, it was cool. And my dad was a lawyer for the Long Island Railroad. So he wasn't like a, a high powered attorney by any means. But uh, he one thing that he always talked about was was staying there to get the pension, mm. which was interesting. And uh, he didn't really like his job. And that was another, you know, you talk about formative experiences, right? Like to see your dad trudge off to work every day and just kind of grumble all the way. But but know that A, he's doing something to support our family and B, that, okay, there's this thing of this pension. Like obviously he's he's working these, I think it was 30 years, I guess. Wow. And he was basically just clocking in. And even though he hated it, it was it was like this, I don't know, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow or something. And I, it just seemed like like a terrible way to go through life to me. I, I, it just, you know, it's sad. It's honestly sad when you see your dad yeah. who, you know, he's a really, really intelligent man and uh, just kind of hating his job and having to, you know, take the railroad into New York City every day and come back at night. And yeah, you know, it's interesting, Whitney. I don't really think about that all that much, but uh, but yeah, I mean, that was that was a big thing for us. And, mm -hmm. you know, kind of not not hating your job, not hating your existence and realizing that time is finite and, you know, to wish away 30 years or 25 years, whatever it was, just for a pension, like it just seemed kind of crazy to me. So, you know, I think while that wasn't overtly spoken, I, I mean, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't like that was certainly some aspect of money talk in the house. I think, you know, the one thing my parents always did was like they never had debt. They never had credit card debt. My mom always taught me to pay my bills on time and in full every month. So so there was that. But like they weren't great savers. They you know, I mean, we knew it wasn't like finances weren't easy for them, even with, you know, decent salaries. Again, not not enormous salaries. But, you know, I think when you grow up, you can kind of see your parents. And I love to I don't want to yap on here for endlessly, but like to kind of ask you about it. It's like I saw like my own. You know, when you see your own parents and this is in many, many ways, right, like. You can either say, oh, wow, that's something I want to emulate or. I need to run in the opposite direction, you know, yes. and, right. And it's, it's interesting. And like, I feel like that in a lot of aspects of life and money is one of them. And again, my parents weren't bad with money, but they weren't great with money. And I feel like they could have been better. So, you know, I learned a lot of good things again, like paying on time and in full every month. But I also learned like, all right, you know, we didn't need that lawn service for, you know, $40, a, a lawnmower or whatever it was when they had two, strapping athletic boys at that point like <laughs> right put them to work yeah seriously like i never mowed a lawn until i had my own house and like i could have done that for 10 years and saved my parents a boatload of money so you know it's just like little things like that but uh yeah it, it's it's fascinating kind of thinking about that that's so interesting i always like diving into childhood i know some, for some people that's kind of a trigger it can be an emotional thing but it's so fascinating because that's where we're shaped I'm not a parent myself, but I can imagine that amount of pressure. I always think about that. I'm like, God, when I have kids, I don't want to mess them up. Like, I want to make sure that they're saving and giving and all of this stuff. But it's it's tricky. So I think that's really interesting. Let's fast forward a little bit. So you are seeing Enron collapse. You're seeing Arthur Anderson go through some troubles. You're deciding that, you know, maybe there's a different way to do things. How did you... When I was that age, I didn't even know that financial independence was a thing. Like, I just assumed you had to work until you were 65, 67 and a half. How did you even know that there could be something different? 
Yeah, that is a great question. And that is something I try to go back and like and and recreate. I think my wife and I were just and, you know, at that point we were not married. I probably dating at that point, like we were natural savers. So I think we we both lived at home for a while. I wound up ultimately buying, I guess, what's a co-op apartment. It's kind of like a like a condo, in essence, on Long Island. Um, but when we when I lived at home, I just didn't spend that much money. So I probably saved 90 percent of my income because what that, you know, I have some beers yeah. with the guys. And but otherwise, like I had an old car. I, I didn't need anything special. Like I never went out and bought anything flashy. So it wasn't for me. I didn't like change behavior, but also to, I mean, to your actual question, like I didn't know about financial independence either. I mean, in 2003, that predated certainly Mr. Money Mustache by a decade and, you know, Jim Collins, all these things, I guess, you know, your money, your life was out. So, but I, I don't, I can't say that I honestly read that. I think, I think the short answer is I didn't know there was something better. I really didn't. Mm. I just knew that saving money put me in a more powerful position. I don't think I had the wherewithal to know that, okay, if I save up for 12 to 15 years, I can be financially independent. Like that, that wasn't even a dream. I, I, I had no idea. It was just, all right, I've seen what can happen to people who spend all this money and then lose their job. Like I, I saw that. So that wasn't what I was going after. I was going after trying to save money. And you know, I think when I found Mr. Money Mustache and The Simple Path to Wealth, which is uh, uh, Jim Collins's uh, book and ultimately his stock series, it's amazing, right? Uh, those things were like the lightning bolt that said, oh, wow, this path that I've been on, like there's something here. There's there's fundamentals underpinning this. And, oh, you mean all this money we've been saving all this time? Like, I can quantify what I actually need to be financially independent. Like that was really, really cool. And yeah, just the low cost index fund investing with uh, Jim Collins. I'm sure you've talked about this a lot is I, I don't know about you, but as an accountant, like I theoretically thought I should know some stuff about looking at financial statements. Totally. And, right. Like, oh, I, I should know this stuff. I'm a CPA. Like, oh, give me a break. Like that's ridiculous. Like I knew nothing, absolutely yeah. nothing. I was doing the same nonsense stock picking from some tip that I got from my friend <laughs> totally. or, you know, the woman in the cubicle next to me or something like. And I think, again, I think this whole thing provided me some certainty, mm. I think, which is pretty cool. Like, I kind of felt like I was out in the wilderness, just kind of like, OK, I'm trying to live the best life that I can. But I had no idea how to invest. I had, I had no clue. It was just a crapshoot, essentially. And you know, learning about low cost index funds, it gave me certainty. Learning about financial independence and the mathematical underpinnings on, you know, with it, that gave me some certainty. So yeah, I mean, I wish I had some great answer for you that at like 23, I knew what I was doing, <laughs> but I was just flailing around just like everybody else, but I, I was just saving money. And I think that's really an important part of it. You hit on something that I want to dig into. You said that you were you were just doing the best that you could. You were just going down this route, living a good life. Okay, pause for a second. From somebody on the outside that has never heard of this, they're like, what the crap? You're driving a beater car. You might have some, like, maybe you're living in a duplex. You are living on barely any money. That How is that the good life? Like, that is not what the society tells us is the good life. How did you overcome that? Yeah. I mean, I think society, society pretty much kind of tricks us into believing we do need to spend money to be happy. Ooh. Right. And I think that is a huge aspect of it is, uh, I realized very early that I did not derive happiness from buying things like there was no, and you know, going back to uh, econ 101, maybe like the marginal utility, which is a fancy way of saying like, how much extra do I get out of something? Like for me of having a BMW over having my Honda Civic, like there was none, it, there was no extra value for me. It was just an extra cost. Like, because I saw like, you, you, you know it, you, when you see your friend get the BMW, you say, oh, great, congrats, you know, all this other nonsense, right? Which I'm not sure we should be congratulating them, but but that is what people do, right? And then it's over. 
Nobody mm-hmm. cares that he or she is driving around in a BMW. It's just a stupid car that gets you from point A to point B. And you have to be worried about getting it getting hit or scratched up or something. Like, I never wanted to own anything that I was worried about all the time. So, yeah, I mean, for me, I realized very, very early that, like, it didn't it didn't add to my happiness. And buying fancy clothes or gadgets, like, you know, obviously there's some minimum, like I, I don't, I'm not a miser at all. I think, you know, before we, we hopped on here, I talked about, uh, how I just got back from CrossFit and, you know, my wife and I have basically set up a framework of a life that just doesn't cost that much in areas that we don't value, but we spend lavishly in areas that we do value. So like, again, CrossFit, CrossFit costs about $150 a month. I could do a great workout with just my body weight and a $10 pull-up bar at home. But I really get value out of going to CrossFit and the camaraderie and the coaching. And my wife does as well. So, I mean, we spend about $300 a month on that. Like there's no miser in the world that's spending $300 a month on CrossFit. It just doesn't work. But people who approach their purchasing decisions through value, value-based purchasing decisions, will spend it on things that are important to them. So again, a framework of a life that doesn't cost so much. For me, it's cars. Cars are the biggest suck of money and ultimate net worth that you can imagine. I right? so I, agree with you on this one too. And I want to dig into the car piece because that is, I very, like my, my side hustle is as an adjunct professor. So I deal with a lot of college students and their big goal, Brad, is I'm going to graduate college and buy this car. Like that, that's literally what they're living for. But why are cars, why do you view this as like a pillar of five? Why do you think this car payment piece is so critical? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it adds up so much more over it. You know, people look at it in terms of just the monthly payment. Can I afford the monthly payment? Right. And for most people, they can afford the monthly payment. Oh, it's only 300 bucks. It's 400 bucks. It's five, whatever it may be. Right. Like, can you afford that? Yeah, I think you can pay the bills on that. But I think what a lot of people don't consider are the long-term are the long-term ramifications of these things, right? So like for me, I looked I, I actually set this up. So this was a long time ago. I wrote this article on my original website called richmondsavers.com, which is What? I didn't know that was your website. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is my old school uh, article from probably 2013. So the numbers are a little dated here, but but just bear with me. I think I think you'll appreciate this. So I kind of set up like a horse race. So I set up someone who was basically just kind of leasing a car or had car payments forever, essentially. And at that point, it was I set up $300 a month, which probably seems pretty quaint in uh, today's age. But but let's just go with it. I think I think it'll be illustrative here. And so they're constantly having car payments. Let's just say, you know, leasing just for argument's sake. So for 45 years, which is basically an adult lifetime or an adult working lifetime, I set up that that's what they did. All right. So obviously at the end, they have no worth from that. There's no net worth. There's no savings. There's no you just have a car that's you know basically worth nothing or you hand it back to the dealer. Right. So their net worth is zero. And then I set set up the other person to be basically me. So it was, I bought a Honda Civic at that point, it was 300 bucks a month. And, you know, I, I leased it. I, excuse me. And I just financed it for five years. So, uh, you know, I had a $300 car payment for the first five years. So obviously I'm not saving any money, but then for the next 10 years, I took that same $300 and invested it in low cost index funds. Okay. Mm -hmm. So $300 a month for 10 years are going in. And then I basically said at year 15, that car is going to be shot. It'll be worth nothing. Throw it out, buy a new car. Again, $300 payment for five years, the next five years, same deal. So you're having that cycle for three times over that same 45 years. Does this make sense so far, Winnie? Yep, I'm with you. Okay, awesome. So now the, the upshot here is, I've had three new cars over that same 45 year period. I know it sounds kind of crazy to think in terms of 45 years, but that is an adult working lifetime, right? And, you know, I drove the car for another 10 years. So that's three times. My net worth at the end by investing that $300 per month for those 10 years where I wasn't making car payments and doing that three times, my net worth at the end of 45 years would would have been about $750,000. What? 
$750,000. I kid you not. It's just math. And it's, you know, you invested that in low cost index funds, right? Like your eyes are bugging out of your head right now. Like it's crazy. I mean, how many people do you know at, let's say you started this at 22 and you're talking 45 years later at 67, how many people do you know who were worth $750,000? Oh, barely any, right? Virtually nobody. I mean, I know nobody, nobody, zero people. So just literally by doing this, you're nearly a millionaire. Now Hmm. extrapolate that out, right? Like you could be a millionaire just by not even being a miser. I'm not asking you to drive like a piece of junk, get a new car every 15 years. That's fine. Like I would further optimize. Honestly, if it were me, I would buy a used car, but like, but that's beside the point. Like buy a new car, you know, treat yourself, whatever you want. And you're going to have three quarters of a million dollars. So imagine if you, when you're buying a house, again, this is another aspect where, you know, we bought a house in the nicest part of the Richmond, Virginia metro area. So like, we're not living in a bad area. We're not living like paupers. We bought a four bedroom house, but we were very intentional about it. We didn't buy a house that was too big for us. It was probably a hundred thousand dollars less than we were considering, or we even in the same school district. So we just found the cheapest house we could find that was still lovely. And my payment for that was, I think, $1,265 a month. And no joke, it would have been 1800 and change at the house, every other house we looked at. So like just by making that decision, and again, I'm not depriving myself there. Like we could have bought a less expensive house five miles from where we are, 10 miles from where we were, but this is where we wanted to live. We knew we were going to have kids and school was important. So again, it's not deprivation. It's just being a little intentional. So that difference in what we would have spent you know, we just invested. So that's another $600 a month. So now you're talking that first 300 was worth three quarters of a million. Now it's another 600. You're at over $2 million now. It's amazing. Right? Like, I think people don't think in terms of what does this mean to me down the road? I think, you know, and, and I understand why, like people, you know, we live for today, like the whole YOLO thing, right? Like I get it. I really do. But I think a lot of people also feel like they don't have control. Like, oh, I could never be wealthy. I could never save money. Well, I think you can. I really do. And I think maybe when you see how much it matters, what a huge difference it is. Maybe you could find that 300 bucks a month if you knew it was going to make you a millionaire, right? Like, could you find 300 bucks a month? I think so, right? You can side hustle that. Like, you can literally furniture just to show people that is possible. I'm like, look, guys, I'm on weekends flipping furniture. You can do it, too. You can drive Uber Eats, you can do DoorDash, like you can do so many different things. And I think you're right. People just don't realize the impact of that $300. But I think that's huge. One of the pieces too, Brad, I don't know if you see this a lot, but in my audience, I see a ton of people blowing the budget on eating out because their grocery bills are either like way too low or they're like, oh, I don't really like to cook. So I'm just going to go out to eat all the time. Do you have any tips when it comes to eating out? That's just such a big budget killer. Yeah. Yeah. And that's actually, it's funny because that's the third leg of this stool here that I always talk about. It's yeah, it's cars, it's housing and it's food. I mean, those that makes up the vast, vast, vast majority of your budget. So yeah, I mean, I think it also, it comes down to what do you value and what are you looking to get out of, of situations, right? So like so many of us go out to dinner because we want to hang out with our friends or we want to sit there and have a conversation with our significant other spouse or whomever it is. Right. And I think I saw this early on, on our podcast is someone wrote into us and said that, you know, their significant other wanted to go out to fancy restaurants all the time. And, you know, it was breaking the budget and they couldn't get on a path to fly. And, and what I said was just sit down with them and have a conversation and find out like, what are they looking to get out of that experience? If it's the fancy food, then it's the fancy food, right? And and okay, and if that's what he or she valued, then so be it. But maybe it's something else. Maybe there's something more. And it wound up that in this case, she just wanted to have time with her hmm. husband without the phone, without distractions. And that was an epiphany, right? Because he said, well, we don't need to go out to $200 dinners to do that. We can just hang out in the house. We'll put our phones in a safe and put them away and we'll just talk, right? We'll spend time together. So that's kind of a long preamble to, I think what my wife and I realized early is 
we just enjoy spending that time together. So for yeah. us, it's not going out to the fancy stuff. It's the time. So we love to have our happy hours. But instead of going out for a $7 craft beer plus tax and tip, we get a six pack or we have like a dozen six packs in our uh, spare fridge and it costs a buck 50 a beer or maybe less. Yeah. And at five o'clock every day, we have a happy hour. And oh, that's we, so cool. Right. It's awesome. And that is our our routine and our tradition every five, every Friday, uh, excuse me, every day at five o'clock. So it's just it's fantastic. And, you know, I, so I guess what that means is we're we're eating in a lot because, you know, we're there. We're not going out. My wife, Laura, just loves to cook. It really is a passion of hers. But I think the money savings aspect of it and the time saving. And, and I think that is a huge aspect cannot be overlooked. So what what Laura does and again, she loves to cook. So it's not like a, a this is not like a gender role thing. It's, she, it's <laughs> totally. her thing. Like if I jumped in, she would be furious. So. Uh, what she does is she meal plans and she's found that this has been the biggest thing to avoid basically breaking the bank on food. So other than obviously not going out to eat, right? So you go out to eat, you're in 20 to $30 a person yeah. and you know, you're getting stuff that's suboptimal health wise. And it takes a ton of time, right? To drive somewhere, sit there, pay, drive back home. Like, so make no two, two ways about it. Like, Going out to eat is not an ideal situation. So what Laura does is, and again, that's for me. So I'm sorry to put a caveat in here, but like, I think it's also very important to know that like, I'm not talking from on high here as some stupid expert. Like if you value going out to eat, go out to eat all the time. Yep, you it's, do you. Yeah, sure. absolutely. So I want to make that really, really clear. Like I'm not a jerk. I don't like, you know, profess to, to have all the answers, but for us, that is what works. And uh, so Laura on a Sunday will meal plan basically two big meals that she's looking to cook. And what she does is she basically doubles or triples the recipes so that she knows we're going to get minimum two nights out of each meal. Right. And in all likelihood, we're going to get probably a third night or maybe enough for one of us to have that third night. So when you make two of them, two meals like that in, in a week, you've got basically five or six nights of dinner right there from cooking two meals. Okay. Now what Laura does also is she tries to pair kind of complementary meals together. So things that use the same ingredients, let's say, so like we use Greek yogurt in, I don't know, like the tzatziki dip that we make that we add to like our chicken shawarma that she makes. That's and awesome. I mean, it's fantastic. So then she looks for what else am I going to use Greek yogurt with? Because it jacks up the cost per serving when you're buying an entire tub of Greek yogurt just cool. to use for a little bit, right? So like that has to factor in. So if you can use that for two meals or two meals you're cooking, which are essentially six nights of dinner, I mean, that cuts the cost per serving dramatically. So I think thinking in those kind of terms is really, really important. I think Laura also just loves to save time because I think so many of us think, oh, fast food, or I'll just go to the grocery store and get like the quick thing at the bar, mm -hmm. you know, that, well, a, it's probably $10 per pound at the, you know, the hot bar, <laughs> totally. at, at, right. But like, it's going to cost minimum 20 minutes round trip for most people. By the time you drive there, you, you know, putz around and figure out what you're going to get and then drive back home. Like that's, and that's minimum. And then you add on, right. Like, so to me, the, the time savings is really almost as critical here as the money savings. But thinking about time savings, like Laura will buy the family pack of, let's say, chicken cutlets at Wegmans, which we have nearby here. And she'll buy like five or 10 pounds and she'll just sit and take whatever it is, an hour, hour and a half and fry up those chicken cutlets, 10 pounds of them. And she freezes them in basically individual servings. So oh, it, cool. right. Like it's just such a neat little hack at any given point. If we don't have a dinner that night or we're running around, we can just pull that out, let it defrost, stick it, you know, stick it in the oven and, you know, have some vegetables with it. And we've got a dinner. And That's so smart, right? Like one time you front load that little bit of work. And then you're, if you're, you know, 10 pounds in quarter pound increments, you've got 40 dinners right there. Right. That's crazy from one little bit of work. So I think the long story short here is that 
if you apply just some little base of intentionality with your meal planning, I think you can save a dramatic amount of money. I think what we kind of anchor ourselves to, and this might sound nuts to you if you've never heard this before, but like $2 per person per meal. That's what we can almost invariably on average get for our, our dinners down to. And again, we're eating, my, my wife loves to cook. We're eating gourmet meals. She's actually uploaded uh, 30 of them to our Choose FI website. Oh, did and, she really? Yeah, which is great. We we have to get a, a better way to, uh, to I guess, send them out right now. We're, but right now we have this thing that Choose FI Vault. So it's uh, yeah. chooseify.com slash vault if anybody wants to sign up for that. But uh, basically the, the thing that's of most value is Laura's recipes in there. But pretty much every single one of them I can vouch. I love to eat. I'm like a, I come from a line of eaters. Like, yeah, like it's, it's my thing. And I mean, these are delicious, like a plus meals and basically plus or minus $2 per person per meal, which is incredible. That's unheard of. I, I think you're hitting on a couple of key points and I kind of want to wrap this up because I think it's really a good demonstration that so many people say we don't have time to meal prep. I just don't have time, but they have time to go out to eat, which as you mentioned, one to two hours at a minimum. So if you have two hours to go out to one meal, hell yes, you can. Like you absolutely have time to meal prep, 100%. And so I think that's a really, really good point. And you mentioned the $2 per person. So if you had to estimate for your family, how much does groceries cost? Like how many people in your family, roughly how much do you guys uh, allocate for groceries per month? Yeah, that is, that's a really good question. Unfortunately, I'm not the expert here in my family. Uh, Laura, <laughs> Laura does all that, but yeah, we do have four of us. Um, my, one of my daughters is a pretty picky eater, so we don't, we don't kind of factor her in, but, uh, <laughs> <She's> the, separate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I feel terrible even saying that, but, uh, yeah, she just kind of does her thing. So, I mean, yeah, I, I don't have an exact average, but pretty much so $2 per person per meal for dinner. So that's three of us times the 30 days, right? So uh, 90 person meals times the $2. So we'll say 180 bucks for food. So, I mean, that's three of us eating dinner for 30 days for $180. So I think that's, that's pretty illustrative of what we're doing. And, and again, I'm not doctrinaire about anything when it comes to finances. Like I hate those people who are like, you can do X, Y, and Z and you can't do these things. Like, (laughs) Right. Like it's crazy to me. So by no means is that $2 per person per meal, like something that we stick to. And if it's $2 and 10 cents that we throw out the recipe, like that's crazy talk. So, uh, you know, naturally it's going to be a little bit more than 180 bucks. It'll probably be 200 to 250 or something like that for dinners. But I mean, how quickly would you burn through $250 going out to Oh my God. So fast. Like within four or five days for a lot of people, it's crazy. I think this is really important and very impactful. And I love that you've shared three of the different pillars of FI. I'm definitely going to link you guys. It's going to be in the show notes. So definitely go check out that blog post because there's 10 pillars that are so good. When I was reading through this, Brad, I was fist pumping. I'm like, this is the best. It makes so much sense. And it does require a little bit of a mindset shift in some of them, but I think it's important. Um, can we have like a philosophical discussion about five for a sec? Let's do it. So I know it's kind of controversial, but a lot of people I've been hearing through the grapevine truly believe that financial independence is not something that every person can achieve. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, that is, it's a good question. And, you know, I think, I think, people create, you know, if you want to get really philosophical, people create their own reality. So if you believe you can do something, you probably can. If you believe you can't, yeah, you're probably sabotaging yourself from the outside. So, uh, I think I would kind of pivot, pivot the answer to, are you going to be worse off in 10 years if you've pursued financial independence? Is there Mm. any planet where you would be worse off, even if, you make a low income even, you know, and, and obviously we can talk about that, right? That's certainly a criticism as well, that this is only for people making six figures or whatever. What I like to say is the most stressful existence, regardless of what your income level is, is, well, maybe that's a bit of a stress to say the most stressful existence, but so let's not go there, but it is extraordinarily stressful if you're living paycheck to paycheck and any 
single financial issue can lead you into a downward spiral of debt or credit cards or I don't know, God forbid, like payday loans or something, right? Like if you're that on the knife's edge, right, of you have no money in the bank, you have no financial safety net at all, and something tiny happens, life happens, right? Like not even an emergency, just life happens. Life is lumpy, right? Like life is lumpy in that you might have a $200 bill for something that you weren't expecting, but but it's not an emergency. You knew it it's likely to happen, right? Again, life is lumpy. So if you have no money in the bank, that is a catastrophe. So what I would say is regardless of where you are, that first time you save a thousand dollars, two thousand, five thousand, could you imagine ten thousand in the bank? How much less stressful is your life? It's dramatically, your life is transformed radically. It changes everything. You're not living on that knife's edge. You're not stressed all the time. You're not beholden to your job every minute. And what they tell you to do, you have to just say, yes, sir, or yes, ma'am, right? Think about how much power you have when you have five or $10,000 in the bank. So can everybody get to FI as quickly as I did, or you might be able to, or the person down the street might be able to? I don't know. I, I honestly don't. But what I can tell you for damn sure is if you go down this path and you start saving money, you start being intentional, you start thinking about what makes you happy, right? You start thinking about community and relationships and physical fitness and sleep. Your life is going to be dramatically better. There is no world where it's not better. So I think that would be kind of my uh, very succinct rebuttal to that, uh, that line of reasoning. And it's just defeatist. It's defeatist thought. And I don't, I don't subscribe to that. I don't think it's helpful. I don't think it's healthy and it just doesn't make sense to me. So again, people's timelines to FI are entirely different. People's backgrounds are entirely different. I'm not trying to say everybody has it on easy street. I, the world doesn't work that way, but is your life better if you have a thousand dollars in the bank? And that might, I, I mean, that might take you a year or two. That might take you longer, but your life is certainly better. It, ob it obviously is. So yeah, I think uh, that's my little philosophical response. I love that. I think that was so good. I think it's really interesting. The other myth that I often hear is, and again, I think it does come down to that mindset. Do you believe it's possible for you? If you don't, you're not even going to entertain the idea and even try to apply any concepts to your life if you just immediately disregard it. So I think that's a really good point. But the other thing that I often hear too is, this only works, you talked about the high income. If you're a high income engineer, <laughs> I hear this all the time. Or if you're single and you don't yeah. have a family. And yeah. I don't think that's true either. <laughs> no, I certainly don't think it's true as well. Uh, you know, I think I think there is a caricature, right? I mean, I, and I'll even, I'll fill in one more, which is the FIRE, right? The, the acronym Financial Independence Retire Early, right? Which, right. you know, to you, you mentioned financial independence, which is great. That's how we look at it. It's financial independence. The, I feel like the retire early thing is such, it's like a red herring. It just is such a distraction because nobody I know is retiring early. We're gaining power back in our lives. We're spending our most precious resource, which is our time as we see fit. And I think that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. But, you know, to get back to your actual question, like, yeah, I think the caricature is white males in their 20s and 30s who are engineers. And yep. I think the very simple reason why that's the case is probably the three or four most famous early bloggers in the FI space all fit either that description or something very, very, very close to it. Uh, so, you know, I get it. I get why there is a caricature. It's that, you know, that's not unreasonable. But what I've seen, I mean, we have quite literally, I think it's at, at the time we're recording this, we have 60,000 people in our Facebook group right now, Whoa! Uh, which is crazy. And, crazy. you know, we have Chooseify local groups all across the world, hundreds and hundreds of local groups. I see people of all ages, backgrounds, everything, every possible thing you can imagine that would make someone different, right? I've seen every single person and I love that. I love it because I think people want to live a better life and I think people are looking for community and I think for whatever weird reason, this brings people together. Like I just went to a meetup 
here in Richmond with our Choose a Five local group. And there were 50 of us that went out to a brewery on a Saturday afternoon and just kind of hung out. And it breaks through the BS of, you know, the normal, hey, what's the weather? How's the sports team doing? <laughs> totally. <Right? laughs> yeah. Awful, you know, water cooler chit chat. And like people talk real things. There's something about there's something there with this financial independence movement that it does break down those barriers. People feel instantly comfortable talking about something that is taboo, right? Like normally for every other in every other aspect of life, talking about money is taboo. But I mean, I have people and not just because I'm Brad, the podcaster, it's like this happens to everybody. Like you talk real stuff and you ask questions like you don't proclaim to know it all. You don't need to look cool for your neighbor. We're just trying to live better lives. And and I think that's really, really empowering. And yeah, I mean, we have tons of families. I'm you know, I have two kids. I know hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of of families that are in this community. I think in that Facebook group. At last count, it was it was 54 percent women. So, uh, yeah, which is awesome. And by no means is this for white males in their 30s, you know, who are, uh, you know, in tech. So, yeah, oh, that love- makes me so happy. Right. That's so cool to hear. That's one of my big missions is to get more people, more women specifically interested in finance, taking ownership and really pursuing that whole control of their time, getting back that time freedom. I think that's what you and I are both on the same page with. I have been loving this conversation. I think it's so interesting. From your business perspective, I have a lot of uh, podcasters and entrepreneurs that listen in as well. Give us like a couple tips. Like you guys have built quite an incredible business. You should be so proud of yourself. It's touching and changing the lives of so many people. What do you attribute some of the successes to? Yeah, well, thank you. First off, I I appreciate it. Yeah, it's been a crazy, crazy ride. I mean, Jonathan and I started this podcast basically almost three years ago to the day, a little bit, a little bit more. So we're probably at like 37 or 38 months from a basically a spare bedroom in Richmond, Virginia. You know, we had no recording background, nothing. We just we just got started. And I think so many people like hesitate to even take action. They they kind of play around with their logo and they play around with, you know, all these other tiny little things that don't make any difference at the end of the day. I think, you know, we realized, all right, there's so little downside to actually getting started. You know, it was it was maybe a thousand bucks worth of equipment and we probably could have done it for less. Jonathan's a bit of a gadget guy. So uh, <laughs> Jonathan. But, yeah, he's 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 a character with his gadgets. But, um, you know, what's the worst that happened? You know, he could probably resell the equipment and, you know, we recorded six or 10 episodes and. And there's no downside. It was fun. It, it's learning new skills. And I think I think what I would say to people out there is even if something fails, like I've quote unquote failed with websites for almost 10 years, literally. And I never looked at them as like catastrophic failures. I looked at them as, okay, I learned something. I'm building that, that skill set and that talent stack. And, you know, I'm an accountant who now knows rudimentary HTML and how to work through affiliate programs and, you know, just all these different, how to start up a site and get the hosting and get the, you know, domain name, like all these things would have been laughable to me a couple of years before. There's no world where I would have known that. So I think just jumping in and actually learning. And I think you need to show up. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people think this is going to happen overnight and it just doesn't. It doesn't for most people. Right. I mean, this is a slog. And anybody who thinks that this is like a get rich quick game is out of their minds. It just doesn't work that way. Uh, you know, we know I know we talked to I think Michelle from Making Sense of Sense and she talked about how the biggest factor in her success and she's had amazing success is just publishing multiple times per week on a schedule forever. And, you know, we've done that. We publish. We know everybody knows we've got an episode coming out Monday morning and Friday morning and we've become kind of part of people's lives, which is cool. And, you know, I think everybody has their own their own way of approaching, you know, how they relate with their audience or community or whatever you want to call it. But, but we very early said, we are not worldwide experts. 
in anything. You know, I mean, we know our stuff. I mean, we're not we're not complete bozos, but like, you know, we never proclaim to know everything. And when we get something wrong, we own up to it and we come back and we get the best information. And we said our community is so important to us that it can't just be the Brad and Jonathan show. It has to be the community because even if you only have a hundred people in your community, you've got a hundred people in your community, right? A lot like of people. that's a heck of a lot of people. That's a lot of smart brains with a lot of little things that they've figured out, bring them in. They're spending time listening to you or reading your articles, like bring them in. People want to be heard, you know, why wouldn't you bring them in? And also another thing, and I know I'm kind of droning on here, but hopefully yeah, these are interesting. Good. It's like, it's you super know, interesting. stories, people relate to stories. They don't relate to experts. They relate to stories. They want to hear somebody who's gone through what they've gone through. They want to relate. That's what human beings do. And, you know, we've found that we're not going to hit 100% of our audience with every episode. We're just not. But that story, even sometimes I'll ha- there'll be an episode where I'll be like, okay, that wasn't a top 10 choose a vi episode for me. But invariably, it will be a top 10 choose a vi episode, a life-changing choose a vi episode for someone or many someones because they heard themselves in that person. So bring stories in. Nobody wants dry, you know, just repetition, right? Like you want stories. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of right off the top of my head. I would say, you know, you, if you're a podcast listener, you know, audio uh, quality is really super important. So it's gotta be good. (laughs) It's gotta be good. Or you shut off. Like even I'll listen sometimes to really good podcasts and they'll, it'll just be super low for like an episode or two. And I'm like, how could you release that? Just throw it out. Like you, if you don't care about it, like you're saying you don't care about your audience, throw it the heck out. You know, like we do that now, like even with famous quote unquote guests, like if they show up and their audio quality is terrible, like, all right, we just, we'll reschedule, you know, we'll be happy to reschedule, but like, we're not going to do that to our audience. We respect our audience. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of right off the top of my head, Whitney. Hopefully that was helpful. I dig it. I think it's super interesting. I just, I love the community piece. And I think that's very apparent in what you guys are doing is it's not like you mentioned, it's not the Brad and Jonathan show. It's the stories, it's the people, it's the meetups, it's all of those little things. And that little thing is what makes it incredible. So I think it's impressive. And just from an observation standpoint, I've always stood back and been like, damn, they are like, they're doing it. It's awesome to see what you guys are up to. So I just wanted to say that I appreciate all the work that you guys are doing. I know it's not easy as a podcaster myself. I know how difficult this stuff is. But I think it's incredible that you keep showing up and bringing the content. I I really do appreciate that. That means a lot to me. Thank you very, very much. Yeah, this is, uh, as you certainly know from podcasting, it is a lot of work. A lot, a lot of work. It's a grind some days. But it's really cool because you get to connect with really amazing people. And I think that's the, the beautiful thing about podcasting. Brad, before we officially wrap up this conversation, are you down for some rapid fire questions? Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. Okay. First question for you. What is one purchase you've recently made that has made your life better? Ooh. Uh, Bose noise canceling headphones. I love these things. I got them on like some Amazon special. I I didn't get like the fancy wireless ones, but uh, this has made my life better in so many ways. Like when I fly now, I used to kind of be a little bit nervous with flying. I just get on the plane, pop on my headphones, and I'm just in my own little world. It's wonderful. And yeah, I listen to all my podcasts. I listen to music on them. It, they're just great. So yeah, huge, huge addition to my life. Very cool. I like it. Okay. Next question for you. I personally am obsessed with people's morning routines. I just find them to be so interesting. So what is your current morning routine? Okay. So yeah, this morning I'll tell you. So, uh, I got up fairly early, probably in the uh, right around five o'clock, which is probably earlier than I would otherwise like. Um, I was a little lazy, so I uh, just listened to podcasts for maybe 45 minutes. I got out of bed. I have a uh, foam roller and a lacrosse ball here. So I do a lot of like foam rolling and kind of, uh, what is it, myofascial release here with my lacrosse ball. Just some stretching I try to do. 
Uh, I've gotten into fitness a little bit more recently, and I also realized like I'm not getting any younger. Obviously, I, I just hit my 40th birthday, which is crazy, and uh, just being flexible and mobile is really important to me. So I try to spend a significant amount of time on that. Um, I list. I usually listen to the Headspace meditation app. Uh, I started. I found somebody recommended to me a meditation called Yoga Nidra. N-I-D-R-A. It's kind of like checking in with your body. It's I just uh, Google yoga nidra 10 minute and the one that comes up, I absolutely love. It just, for some reason, it really deeply relaxes me. So uh, I would highly recommend checking that out to anybody out there. And yeah, then I went downstairs. I had, uh, had my breakfast and yeah, my wife and I went to CrossFit and that was kind of our morning. Awesome. Are you a coffee drinker? I am. I am. I've, uh, trying to cut back and I also have just kind of recently come across some, I don't know, like scientific information that, uh, have you read Matthew Walker's, uh, why we sleep? No. Okay. Yeah. This is, hold on. Let me, uh, is it so good? It's phenomenal. Phenomenal. He was on a podcast called the drive with Dr. Peter Atiyah. A-T-T-I-A. If you're into health or science at all, like really health, this is a must-listen podcast. It's amazing. Uh, so anyway, they, t- they talked about the uh, the actual benefits of coffee and caffeine. So mm. I've actually pushed back my morning coffee from 7 to now like 9.30, 10. Um, you know, who knows whether the science will change in a couple of years, but as of now, I'm... Uh, it's been working for me. I like that. Thank you for the recommendation too. I am probably too obsessed with coffee. So that's something I'll look into. Okay. Next question for you. Where is one location you're dying to travel to? Oh, that is a good one. Uh, probably Portugal. I think, uh, I think my wife and I, and, and our girls, I think we're probably going to spend, uh, a good portion of the summer of next year, 2021 in Lisbon. We've just heard amazing things about it, that it, uh, just a gorgeous city, incredible people, very inexpensive. So it's a possible place that we could maybe live at some point down the road. So, uh, you know, just like anything in life, you might hear great things about something and it might just not work for you. So, uh, we want to kind of test it out. So yeah, that's, that's an upcoming one. We're also going to Alaska this coming summer. So that should be really, really cool. Oh, so jealous. I'm excited to see your pictures. That'll be fun. Cool. All right. Last question for you. In your opinion, what is the secret to financial success? I think it's as simple as prioritizing saving money. That's that's really the bedrock foundation of all of this. You need to save money, right? Like if you're living paycheck to paycheck or you're in debt, no matter how many podcasts you listen to, no matter how many articles you read, nothing is going to get better until you get up off the couch and you take action and you start making changes. Like you said before, you can get a side hustle. You can work on the income side. You can work on the expense side, but you've got to do something. So I, th- I think actually my answer probably is take action. But at the heart of it, it's you need to change something to start saving money. I love it. Brad, thank you so much for your awesome answers and for your time and openness. It was really fun getting to know you and hearing your your background as well. Thank you. Yeah, I had an absolute blast. This is fun. Okay, what did you think? What were your big takeaways from this episode? I think the part that really stood out to me was just how some of those small changes really do compound over time and make such a big difference in your life. And I think Brad was a living proof of that. He shows that the power of investing and purchasing intentionally and just overall thoughtfulness with your finances can really pay off in tremendous ways. In fact, that's how he was able to retire at 35 years old. I think it's so important to understand that. And more than anything, I know this episode, as you were listening to it, you thought of somebody 
Somebody came to your mind. We're like, oh, God, I wish they had this episode. I wish that they heard this rant on car payments or that they understood that their decisions mattered. If that's the case, and if you thought of somebody, send them this episode. Seriously, it can really transform their life. And it's so important for the podcast as well to just get out in front of more people and spread the good money nerd message. (laughs) All right, guys, that is it for today. If you have enjoyed this episode, definitely share it. Leave a review, take a screenshot, tag me on Instagram. Let me know who's listening in, do all of the things. And it means the world to me. All right, I will see you Friday for Five Tip Friday or next week for another episode of the Money Nerds Podcast. Bye. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.